I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Well, good morning. It's good to be together. I'm excited to be with you and uh, to sit with the fourth commandment this morning. Uh, so I'm going to dismiss the kiddos, uh, four years old, to kindergarten. Jewel Carhan is out there. Jewel, thanks for serving our kids, and uh, we hope you have a wonderful time together. <laughs> How many of you would say that you feel underwhelmed with the responsibilities in your life right now? I would not be able to say that. <laughs> it's been a long week. How many of you would say that you feel close to God and energized by your time with him? Most of us come to church worn out, burdened by the responsibilities we bear in life. Sometimes it feels like we're running on a treadmill. Always working, but never quite getting where we need to go. Even more, we're often weighed down with the guilt in our relationship with God because we work for his approval only to fall short again and again, leaving us estranged from him. We long for rest, for an oasis in the desert. Rest for our bodies, our minds, and our souls. We need it, and yet we struggle to find it. We struggle to find the time for it. Or better yet, make the time for it. And even when we do, our minds are distracted. We're quick to escape the discomfort of the silence and stillness into which rest propels us. The fourth commandment is God's answer to your restless heart and hands. It is, at its core, blessing. Good news, a gift for the weak and weary, i.e., us. It's a testament, first and foremost, to the kindness of God. For he knows what we need, that we need rest, and he knows where we can find it. And he commands us to go there. So in the fourth commandment, God commands us to do three things. He commands us to rest, remember, and reorient. He commands us to rest, remember, and reorient. As we enter into the scripture, let's pray and ask God for help. Lord, if there was anyone who needs this commandment and needs to repent and turn to you for rest, it's me. It's us. So help us, Lord. Teach us. Make us what we're not. Show us what we don't know about you, about your word, your law, 
and give us rest even now as we sit before you together in corporate worship on the Lord's day. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So God commands us to rest first and foremost in the fourth commandment. The ministry that my wife and I served at before coming here to Pennsylvania was a residential program for those in the addicted community in New England. And in the journey of recovery from addiction, one of the most important ingredients in that journey is work. To work is to learn how to endure difficulty for the purpose of loving your community. A large part of our property there was taken up by a few acres of gardens. And many of our residents in the program were responsible for taking care of those gardens, harvesting the crops, canning the annual yields. And for a season, I worked in the gardens. And one of the hardest parts of gardening is what? Weeding. Maybe you didn't just say that, but I think it's weeding. Right? Whether it was with a scuffle hoe or with our bare hands, we endured the tedious task of ridding the soil of unwanted prickly plants. It was hard work. And as satisfying as it was to see the work done and to sit down at the dinner table at the end of the day, it was dreadful when sometimes... The very next day, you'd return to that same spot, and there they were, those prickly plants staring right back at you, risen from the grave. Even though our work was meaningful, we were caring for our community, providing for them. It was toilsome, and at times it felt futile. And that's how work can be in a fallen world, right? And we can only understand God's commandment in the fourth commandment in verse 8 to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy if we understand his vision for work. For in verse 9, God commands us, six days you shall labor and do all your work. We were made to work, for we were made in God's good image, and he himself is a worker, a good worker. Therefore, work is good. In Genesis 1, after God made our home and planted a garden, he took Adam and put him in the garden to work it and keep it. He was made a steward over what God had made. And it was his responsibility to protect it, see it flourish, and provide for his family in and through it. All in submission to the one who made it, God himself. Work was made for love. Love for our neighbor and love for God. And when we work in that way, we worship. And we set our work apart as holy. When we submit our work to the one who made us, all we do is meaningful. Whether you work with tools or Microsoft Excel or Teams, whether you work with dishes and diapers 
or people in crisis, as we work to love God and others, every moment, however futile it might feel, is sacred and good. And yet, we often don't work that way, right? Work also often doesn't feel that way. We feel the futility of work in a fallen world, and even more, we often work for ourselves. We bow down to our work, as Bernie was talking about. We use it to save ourselves from the pain of a cursed world in which our work feels futile. We work for the weekend. Everybody's working for the I don't know if you know that song. That's how we treat our work, right? We work for the next vacation. A bigger TV, a nicer car, or a house. We work to succeed so that others will see us as capable. We work to soothe our anxiety that we will never be good enough. We work to justify ourselves before God in our relationship with him, to assuage our own guilt, believing that if we just work hard enough in our spiritual life, God will finally love us. And yet in doing so, we find our identity in our work. We start worshiping our work, not the God who made us for it. And when we worship our work, it enslaves us. The Israelites knew slavery, as we have seen through the book of Exodus. If we look at the Ten Commandments within the context of the whole book in which they reside, when the Israelites received the Ten Commandments, the memory of their captivity to Pharaoh in Egypt would have been close at hand. The Israelites had been enslaved to work like cogs in a wheel of futility, forced to make bricks without straw, expected to make the impossible, to do the impossible without rest. It was like working without weekends. And in Exodus 2, we read that God heard their groaning, their weakness. He remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He saw the people of Israel, and God knew. God heard the people of Israel in Egypt. He hears your sighs of exhaustion. He sees you in your weariness. He knows your weakness, and he wants to give you rest. This is precisely what he shows to the Israelites. As we look at the the fourth commandment, we see the ways in which it is a filtering out of the first three commandments. In the first three commandments, we see God's real, unrivaled supremacy, his right to rule over us, and the expectation that our lives will honor his name. In the fourth commandment, we see that God is kind. And obedience means returning to him and submitting to his supreme and holy kindness. Sounds like good news, right? In the fourth commandment, God lays to rest any questions 
about whether he who dwells in the fire and smoke on top of Mount Sinai was just another Pharaoh. God is unlike Pharaoh. And the fourth commandment proves it so. If you read in verses 8 to 10, the fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. The word Sabbath literally means to cease or stop. The Sabbath is a day of stopping to the Lord. He commands us to take a break, to sit down and stop your work. He even commands the livestock to take a rest, which even in that, God is demonstrating his civil love for all of society, even the animals, that they they deserve a day of rest. The first time the word Sabbath is used is not in Exodus 20. It's in Genesis 2, which we've already heard this morning from Ben. In Genesis 2, when God finished the making of the world, he rested. He Sabbathed. Read verse 11 of the commandment. For in six days, the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. We bear God's image. He's a worker. We are workers. He rests. So we rest. He made rest a holy thing. He didn't rest to catch his breath after creating all things. He didn't need rest. He wanted to rest. He chose to rest because the work was done. And as the king of the universe, he sat down. Like I sat down at the dinner table. He sat down, enjoyed the goodness that he had made, and blessed it. And God commands us to enter into that rest with him. But what is the nature of that rest? What kind of rest does he offer, and how do we get it? Number two, we remember. I went to summer camp as a kid and then returned as a camp counselor a number of years later. And one of my favorite activities at summer camp was the rock wall. The rock wall was about 40 feet tall, which to a middle school child is incredibly tall, and even to an adult, when you find yourself 40 feet in the air, is pretty scary. To climb, you put on a harness, and were hooked into the climbing rope that was anchored to the ground and managed by what was called your belayer. 
Your belayer was your guide as you climbed up, helping you see the different handholds, helping you get to the top, and he was also the one who made sure you didn't die. And I remember the first few times that I made it to the top, I, I would get there and I'd touch the pole and I'd be super excited. And then I'd look behind me and realize I had to come down. And there was one time where I was so terrified that I was shaking. And I slowly leaned back into my harness, hovering over the void beneath me. And I had to trust that my belayer had me, that they'd bring me down safely. This is kind of what rest is like. It's kind of like what the rest God offers is like. We do the hard work of climbing up the wall, the good work of our responsibilities, and we learn to rest, to lean back into the harness of God's care and protection. This is how we rest. After all the toil of our week, however fruitful or futile it was, however much we found our identity in our work, we remember who God is and why we can trust him. We turn away from our forgetfulness and we turn to God. We bring our burdens to him and receive and submit to his kindness. In other words, we worship him. For to receive is to praise him as the one who can give us rest. We hand all our work over to him for inspection. Trusting that he's good and he's going to make of it what he wants. This is hard for us. For some of us, rest feels impossible. When you have a moment of freedom, your mind remains flooded with all that you have to do or the stress of what might happen if you let it rest. You just can't put your work down, whether in your mind or in your hands. There's always more to do. There's always more people to love. And some of you climb all week like you've got no rope. And you believe that you have to keep climbing to stay alive. Because if you stop and rest and lean back, you're going to die. Everything's going to fall apart. We might call it workaholism or busyness. Often we see overcommitment as a virtue. And yet, could it really be that the workaholic is much more like me, shaken at the top of the climbing wall, scared to sit back into God's care? And breathe. So we remain tired. And often our families and friends are neglected. And due to our idolization of our work, our relationship with God is sometimes non existent. We need to remember. What do we need to remember? We need to remember that God is our creator king and God is our mighty redeemer. God is our creator king. He says, return and remember the Sabbath day. Remember the day that I made the world and sat down on the throne in the Sabbath. All things were made by him and he reigns over all things. Everything is his. All of it belongs to him and is in his care. 
And if everything is his, then he's able to do whatever he wants with it. And as creator king, he provides for all that we need. And in that, just as we have a reason to work, we have a reason to rest. Pharaoh sat on his throne, forcing the Israelites to do the work, to work for him, to give him what he needed. God sits on his throne and works on behalf of his people and invites them to rest in what he gives to them. He holds everything in his hands. Your heart, your body, your soul, your family, your home, and the work he's given you to do. He owns it all. Therefore, you can rest and lean back into his care. And that kind of rest brings real joy, real rejuvenation. We rejoice in the good work that he's given us to do and the fact that he's given us the ability to do it. And he's given us a place of rest. We remember that he's our creator king. We also remember that he's our mighty redeemer. The first thing God says in the Ten Commandments that has been the refrain in our videos every time before the person has read the commandment is what? Exodus 20, verse 2. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Furthermore, when the Ten Commandments are restated in Deuteronomy 5, the basis upon which God commands the Israelites to practice the Sabbath is the Exodus itself. We read in Deuteronomy 5, verse 12, Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Verse 15, You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. We don't just find rest in God's sovereign care evidenced in the creation of the world. We also find rest in the redeeming love of God in the creation of God's people. His choice of his people. God's love was the basis of the Israelites' obedience to the Sabbath. For he delivered them from their slavery and has proven to us that he can deliver us from our slavery. In the same way that God displayed his mighty hand and outstretched arm in freeing Israel from Egypt, he has shown us his loving kindness in Jesus Christ who has delivered us from the burdens we bear and the idols we make. He endured the hardest of work under the curse of sin without grumbling for the joy that was set before him. He bore our burdens on the cross and declared in his death, it is finished. And now he lives in body and soul, not just as the king, but our king. All things belong to him, and now we can say, we do too. We have a father now in heaven, and we are his sons and daughters. In Christ, the fourth commandment is not so much a command to stop work, but it's an invitation to spend the day with him. 
Jesus says, as has been read already in Matthew 11, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. Do you qualify for that? I qualify for that. Those are the qualifications. All who labor and are heavy laden, come to me and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The only work required is to acknowledge your burdens and come. And he promises rest. His heart is gentle and he's eager to walk with the worn out and out of breath to give them real rest, to give you real rest. And some of that rest comes in the work that he offers. And the work that he offers is actual kind work. That's what that that word, his yoke is easy. One of the um, authors that a lot of our churches have been reading, Dane Ortland in his book, Gentle and Lowly, highlights that that word, my yoke is easy. It actually means my yoke is kind. All we have to do is come. But coming to him, even more, staying with him, is harder than you might think. We must reorient our lives to respond to his invitation. And that's the call of the first, the fourth commandment. We rest, we remember, and we reorient. What's something that you do every week? That's rhetorical. Something that without it, your, your week would feel weird. Is it a weekly meal with friends or family? Is it watching your favorite sports team or that TV show that you just can't get enough of? We orient our weekly rhythms around what we deem worthy of our full attention. The things that we believe will give us rest and joy. We orient our weekly rhythms around the things that we love. Where does the Lord stack up in that order? In the fourth commandment, God is commanding a premier place in the week. A regular place in your week. A place in your week so much, so so consistent that your week would feel weird without it. He's commanding your full attention and he's promising to give you his. He says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. What does that mean for us today? Some of the burning questions we have when we see this commandment are, what does that mean for me today? Clearly, the the legalism surrounding the Sabbath day that the Pharisees had, had loaded onto it has been abolished. The minutia of what kind of work was okay and what was not, where you could go and where you couldn't go. And yet the law itself was not. The law itself is not. Jesus himself said in Matthew 5, 17, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. He fulfills the Sabbath. He makes it better 
fuller, deeper. He's achieved a deeper rest for us. He's fulfilled the whole law on our behalf. So that now it's not a burden we bear to get into God's favor, but a blessing we walk in to abide in the favor we already have in him. And there remains in this commandment a call to a full day of intentional rest and heartfelt devotion to the Lord, both personally and corporately. This is how we keep the Sabbath day holy. God's commanding that we keep a day special for him, to set it apart as different from any other day. And if we're honest, many of our Sabbath days don't look a whole lot different than any other day, except for the fact that we go to church on Sunday. I think the fourth commandment urges us that we need to change. I need to change. How do we do that practically? What does that look like? How do I reorient the rhythms in my life to follow this commandment? And for some of us, this really just starts with coming to corporate worship weekly. On Sundays. Sabbath has always been tethered to corporate worship. That's what the commandment is in part. Practice your Sabbath day on Sundays if you can. You may work sporadic hours that sometimes fall on Sundays. Maybe you're a nurse, for example. And if so, carve out a weekly rhythm that is set apart for rest. Do the hard work of of making a place special, devoted to the Lord. Maybe you might consider beginning your Sabbath at dinner time on Saturday night so that you can spend the evening preparing for Sunday worship. You end on Sunday dinner and spend the evening preparing for the, the work that's yours to do in the following week. Outside of corporate worship, maybe the most helpful guidance is to do what helps you remember who God is and why you can trust him. Plain and simple. One pastor was so helpful in this when he says, do whatever stirs your affections for Jesus. Get with God. Whether alone or with your family, with your friends, is a walk going to be helpful? Then go for a walk. Make it a practice. Is it journaling, drawing, listening to music, building something, taking a nap, talking to someone you love? Maybe it's mowing the lawn. And maybe it is exercising. Get with God. Read his word. Spend time in prayer and yet do the things that you love to do and set them apart as holy. as a a means of worshiping and thanking and praising and seeing and savoring the God we worship. For our stay-at-home moms, resting might feel like a pipe dream. Like, okay, I do this five days out of the week, six days out of the week. Sunday is no different. My kids aren't going anywhere. Maybe you decide not to cook on Sundays as a family. To give, say, a stay-at-home mom or, or whoever a break. Maybe make it a PB&J day or get takeout. Or maybe you make a meal with the whole family and everybody pitches in every Sunday. 
It's one family in our church that that's something they do every Sunday. And they said it, it's the best. Fostering rhythms of holy rest in our lives also means removing distractions. Removing the things that are going to tempt us into not resting well. Consider putting down your phone. Make a phone drawer and establish a set of time where your phone is set apart and your time is set apart from your phone. It's hard to rest when you have your phone, which for some of us is a direct portal into your work life or a direct portal into the mind-numbing abyss of Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok, and YouTube, and Netflix, and Amazon Prime. Consider turning off your computer, shutting off your TV for part of the day. Entertainment can be a gift. Movies can be a gift. Facebook can be a gift. But we often use it to numb ourselves in a way that doesn't bring real rest. It actually drains us brings out even more anxiety. How do we engage in entertainment, for example, in a way that's restful, in a way that draws us closer to Jesus? Whatever you do to practice, to obey this commandment, make a plan, make it unique, make it regular, and make it worshipful. Do whatever you need to do to rest and remember who God is and why you can trust him. Start small. Maybe it's one thing that you want to change in your Sabbath habits. Rest in the grace of Jesus as you do this. This isn't a rigid commandment. There's freedom. And yet this is urgent. This commandment is in a list of a lot of commandments to abstain from really horrifying things like murder. So clearly, God thinks this is a big deal. And we should too. Talk it over with your family as you leave from church. My wife and I have been really challenged by this the last couple weeks as I've been meditating on it. And we have had to make some changes. And it's hard. It's hard to make new rhythms. But God loves you and wants to give you better rest in him, lasting rest that comes in him alone. And and in communion with him together, in, in setting apart a whole day devoted to him, we start to look different to the world. As Ben talked about last week, our lives start to bear God's name, not in vain, but for his glory. For when we practice these things, we declare that it's God who is supremely satisfying and nothing else. Next week, Ben is going to be preaching on the fifth commandment, which is going to be great. uh, The call to honor your father and mother. Come ready to listen and learn. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the Sabbath. Thank you so much for the fourth commandment. Thank you for uh, knowing us, knowing what we need, caring for us, providing for us, being our mighty redeemer. Lord, help us to remember who you are and why we can trust you, why we can lean back into your care and help us to do so. Give us wisdom to establish new rhythms New rhythms of Sabbath, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.